Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we've got something very, very unusual for you, a complete departure for us and something really completely unique. Um, On the 20th of July, uh, I was pleased to welcome down to my man cave in Ulster, Peter Wadsworth and Liam Newton. Peter, of course, runs the Strawberry Archive and he brought down with him a big box of what turned out to be amazing tapes, tapes rescued from various places. Formerly they'd lived at Strawberry Studios in in Stockport, um, but since then they've kind of been scattered far and wide. Um, Liam, of course, is the author of 10CC, The Worst Band in the World, and we had the most amazing evening and and full day on the 21st of July um, listening to these tapes that we'd previously baked in, in a little food dehumidifier. Now, the last two episodes, we've heard some of the sort of 10cc related stuff that we we baked and listened to, but this is something really special, um, incredibly unusual, and we really hope you enjoy it. In love, in love, in love. Now this one, I. I I feel I should be handling it with uh, with gloves on. Yeah, talk, I talk us through this little treat. Yeah, so this again, the same um, tape box sheet stuck on as the "I'm Not in Love," so a yellow strawberry um, recording studios sheet. Um, so from seven from the mid seventies, and this one just says Paul McCartney effects tape. So obviously McCartney came in to Strawberry when he recorded with his brother, produced his album, uh, McGear. And this just hints at some of the sound effects that were used on that album. So it is just a tape, presumably, of different sound effects. So some of the titles like Car Skid, <laughs> Hello Piccadilly. Yeah. So there's the a car whole... Car Skid, you can kind of recognise that from... Um, what's that brilliant track on it? The, the catchiest. What's it called? Uh, Giving Greece a ride. Yeah, great, great track. And there's um, sounds sort of dramatic uh, skids and, and yeah. a, a car crashing, I think, as well. So just a whole, presumably, a whole range of sound effects God. that he then used on the McGear album. So, uh, but it's nice because um, obviously everyone knows that McCartney came to Strawberry. Um, and also all the stories around it, so like him playing to the people at the bus stop, mm. and um, Peter's got a fair few tales about Paul being in there, but there's never been anything archival that actually linked his name to the studio. Nothing, you know, that you could actually look at and say, oh yeah. So this is kind of the first thing I've seen that actually has Paul McCartney's name on against the Strawberry logo. So Amazing. And is that is that Peter's writing? That is yeah. that is Peter's writing. Peter's writing. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. Right. Wow. He needs to neaten it up a bit, but uh, <laughs> I'll tell him off when we so, sleep. Am I right in thinking that they were recording the McGear album during the day and then and then the boys would come in at night and record sheet music? Or was it the other way around? The other way around. They yeah. were doing was it during the day. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, 
they'd started recording sheet music. Yeah. And it was January, just after New Year, that yeah. Paul came in, and then they would go through the evening. Yeah. They play each other stuff, you know, when they were crossing over. And, and listening to, I was listening to the album yesterday, actually, the McGear album, and you can you can smell sheet music in the grooves of that, mm. can't you? It's yeah. it's great, I think. Yeah, and borrowing each other's equipment, didn't they? That was yeah. the other thing. And, I mean, like they the used drum kit, on drum kit, Wall Street shuffle, and those kind of things. Yeah, and the gizmo, yeah. obviously, was yeah, exactly. Paul, yeah. Paul sort of, uh, I guess, probably first discovered the gizmo mm. there and became a, quite a big advocate of the yeah, gizmo. We've got the receipt, haven't we? Yeah, from <laughs> him borrowing it, and that was February, March, '74. Yeah. so just after that, yeah. borrowing, yeah. borrowing, and not returning. Yeah. No, he did return. I think it was the only one. So, but if you speak to any of them. So especially Peter, how did you know when Strawberry had made it? It's when you've got Paul McCartney and 10cc, 24 hours a day, yeah. recording and mixing and kind of producing all sorts. So, Can you imagine? Incredible. What I'd give to, to be able to travel back in time and be there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I can't wait to hear this. Oh, I can't <laughs> Right, let's get it sorted. Let's see if it's tails in or out. Well, who knows? <coughs> Body's tails in and in and out yeah. of the yeah. uh, basket. Yes. He's not settling, is he? No. Perhaps it's the excitement. He can just yeah. pick up. Yeah, on. exactly. It's the sound effects he's yeah. quite concerned about. Yeah, <laughs> he won't like those. <laughs> just while you're setting up, one for you, Peter. Probably mm. there was. I think I put it in the in the book, but I don't know whether Peter's mentioned it. Was apparently um, when McCartney was recording, when Wings were recording London or about to record London Town. Mm. They tried to get do some of that at Strawberry, and the studio yeah. studio was fully booked. Oh, is that right? That was in seventy seven or something. There was a quote from David Roll, who was the engineer, in one of my magazines, one of the trade magazines. I think it's David Roll. I'm pretty sure it is interviewed, and he says something like, "We've just had to turn down That's right. McCartney, yeah, because we wow. haven't got the time to do it," and Peter. Doesn't, doesn't no, he says we wouldn't turn down yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah, okay. Who, whoever else was booked in, but um, I mean, it's an actual contemporary quote, so it's not like it was done after the time. Yeah. It was at the time. Yeah, that would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. But that's where what's um, I can never remember who it was from Wings, actually joined at the time they were in Strawberry. So his first oh Jimmy McCulloch. That's was right. It? His yeah, first yeah, introduction right, to right. them was in Strawberry. Yeah. And he does it, I think he's written his book, hasn't he, where he actually says it, you know, I came up to Strawberry and Paul said, would you like to join Wings? Oh, uh, right, OK. Right. There we are. Right, so... It'll be dead boring now, it'll just be... Well, it'll just be... 10 or 11 sound effects and that'll be it. Shitty sound effects, yeah. yeah. But Paul McCartney's touched it. But I wonder whether, so when it says car skid, did they actually go out in the car park and... <laughs> yeah. Get wheels skidding round because that, that's you very strawberry a, style. You wouldn't have that. a tape of. So, well, well, you would have a unless tape of sound they had, unless they went looking through a library. But the BBC had sound effects library, didn't they? But I've got several of their records. But they actually. wouldn't. But strawberry wouldn't. They wouldn't have a separate. Well, maybe they would. I don't know. So what I'm doing doing here is that I've uh, I've got Logic Pro up on my Mac, like a professional um, recording uh, software, um, and I'm recording onto a, a separate new stereo track and I'm capturing everything in sort of Blu-ray quality. A CD, um, for, for the geeks amongst us, CDs um, are 16-bit 44.1 thousand sample rates but Blu-rays are about 50% better than that so you've got a 24-bit length 
and uh, a sample rate of 48k. Um, so we're hoping that these, in theory, are, are the best quality mm. masters that 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 we'll will have ever heard. But of course, you've got to take into account degradation of the tape and, mm. and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, yes, so we're all set up here, uh, and I'm going to capture the screen as well so that I can. Uh, you know, I can hand over kind of, if you like, complete records of what we've got here. Uh, and I'm also filming the, the tape going round and round. So what you've got is something that Strawberry spent thousands to capture <laughs> on, on one PC now. Yes. And it just shows you how yeah. technology has advanced yeah. in just 20, 20 years. Absolutely. And the, the multi-track tapes would have cost 150 quid each yeah. or something mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. Right. And here, you know, basically we're running it on just the price of electricity and yeah. coffee. <laughs> basically uh, yeah so we're almost ready um, to, to press play on the machine McCartney it is and, and let's hope it doesn't play backwards hello Piccadilly hello Albert Square hello Piccadilly keep doing it on the air In fact, it's Paul and Linda wishing you all the best. Hello. Hello, Piccadilly. Hello. Oh my goodness. Well, Is that a radio jingle? Yeah, it's have you heard radio. that? Have you no, heard that before? I've not heard it before, but That's I know. As soon as incredible. he said that, it's Piccadilly Radio. Oh. I might ask you to save that for Strawberry Archive. Yeah. So there you are then. Quite a difference. Yes. yes the answer is LP. Yeah. That's from the end of the the man who found God on yeah. the moon, right? Wow, he said, didn't you? Dougal bits. Buzz Aldrin, moon talk. Pounds and new pence. The pound sign stays the same. The P stands oh, for new. I'll tell you what that is after. For example, two pounds fifty-one new pence. Four pounds, fifty-four new pence. Here's another one. I know what this is. But yeah. there you are then. Two simple rules for writing in pounds and new pence. <laughs> Cheers. So let's look up that price of 17 new pence. Here it is. And its nearest equivalent in the old money is... Okay. Now this is the important thing. Huh? After you've decided whether the price is right, forget all about the LSD equivalent. <laughs> oh, pounds, shillings, pence. Yeah. Yes. Some shops won't be going decimal right away. They'll be carrying on in LSD for a while after these days. <laughs> So, for a while after D-Day. So how can you use the new decimal bronze coins in an LSD shop? So in LSD shops, use your new coppers. That's how to get rid of your old coppers. Unbelievable. 
I know what vaguely that is. I mean, that was all Dougal bits, was it? No? Yeah. Is this Moon Talk? Yeah. Robert, Robert Dougal. Yeah. Ryan Webben, yeah. Was, it, was he the newsreader? Yeah. Mm. Yes. And that's the, the actual moon landing, isn't it? When the yeah. eagle's going down. Mm. Wow. What's next? Miles Kidd's Harry Kay. Harry Kay. Is there a song called Harry Kay? Harry Krishna. Krishna, 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 Harry, 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 Ah, yes. Mike's kids, yeah. Yeah. Is that what it says on yeah. the box? Yeah. Right. That's wine glass F chord. We've got lots to talk about here. crash yeah sorry Dodd that's what it says on the tin that one <laughs> that could be down the strawberry steps yeah. couldn't it could be sounds like that's a record right. that's been taken off right. 
making you the crackles. Yeah, yeah. So that might, that might be a BBC yeah, record. Yeah, cheap skates. Yeah. And casket will probably be the same as well. Yeah. Good yeah. crash that. Yeah. yeah. Doddy, sorry. What's the last one? TR three driving past fast. It looks like. Uh, right. Or TR three past. It was a TR three car, wasn't mm. it? Mm. From giving Greece a ride, I, I guess. Great track. Vinyl crackle there, yeah. so that might have been right. a, an original recording. I'll ask Peter Neil Thomas. Oh goodness me! <laughs> I don't know what to even think about that take. this tiny tape reel go round and round and round I guess we're trying to ring it of every yeah. Yeah. Just in case. ounce of sound there we go oh, wow wow hello Albert Square but it started in April 74 Piccadilly Radio so they obviously were asked to do ah. something to welcome it yeah um, so do you think just McCartney just um Wrote that specifically for them. Must be, because that's. I don't recognise it as any other McCartney type song. He may, I guess he may get precious about that as well, because if he's written music. But it's Piccadilly history. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And it sounded so good, didn't it? Yeah, it, it really did. did. Piccadilly Radio Day One. Wow. Oh, yeah. well, that McCartney jingle is. I mean, if you flogged it to Bad Finger, it would have been a hit. Yeah, it's, it's just a throwaway. Yeah. yeah. I stay in Manchester, and this for the first time on 261 Medium Wave, 90... And it gives me great pleasure for the very first time to say a good Tuesday morning to you. Hit music for the North West. We are Piccadilly Radio. So, I wonder if Andy Peebles is... is hey, yeah, good yeah. choice of two. <laughs> I wonder if Andy Peebles is there at that point. Um... Yes, because he went, yeah, on, yeah, pretty we sure he would have been. I think he was part might, of the launch because might he jumped ship, that. didn't yeah, he? From the I think he, I think he was. Wow. Let's just see what it says on his. Yeah, Peebles was among the founding DJs of Piccadilly Radio in Manchester. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. So presumably that's for Piccadilly Radio, right? Yes, which was launching that year, 74. Ah, uh, that will make sense. Um, now, I don't think, I'm pretty sure that wasn't on the McGear box set. Did you sort of have that to hand? Were you? Uh, I'd got, um, uh, yeah, I'd got Spotify open and I'd given, I'd given the, the album and the bonus tracks a, a spin the day before. Right. Um, right trying to prime myself for the sound effects really because I don't know the album that well 
Yeah. Um, and, and it helped. Um, but uh, no mention of the Piccadilly tune. But uh, yesterday, Peter managed to find a couple of examples of it on YouTube, um, but in bad quality. Okay. So it must have been broadcast, presumably. Oh, and, cranky. And I mean, you'd be mad not to. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, we must have the, the most pristine copy of it. Mm. So there you are then. Quite a difference. Yes, the answer is LP. Yeah, that's. Isn't that Robert Dougal from the outro of The Man Who Found God on the Moon? Yes. And not yes. On, on, on the tape box it says Dougal. Um, ah, so okay. you were already aware that it was Robert Dougal? Yeah, I just remember that from the from the original sleeve notes. I'm a big ah. fan of this, a big fan of this record from from going way back and I had yeah, I had it I had it on vinyl uh, well from the early 80s and that is the, one of the greatest tracks on it. It's um, my favorite. Yeah, we've discussed it before. Yeah. Peter, what do you know about the um that wonderful chat about pound shilling pence LSD? Is that <laughs> is that Paul McCartney just having a laugh? No, but um what did happen? earlier than that was that Scaffold produced the music that the ads ran when they were trying to get the public so the public information films yes on decimalization had um, various musical items as well and Scaffold recorded in Strawberry some of the decimalization tracks ah. which um, I think are out there on YouTube but I'm wondering whether it's something from that that they would have had in their own archive Right. But I don't know where they would have been putting it on the McGear album, unless you can tell me differently. There's, is there anything there? That yes, there's, there's one bit of dialogue uh, at, right at the end, actually, of the last track on the original LP. That wonderful um, the Man Who Found God on the Moon. I love that track. The one with the gizmo on it. Yeah. And uh, just before the end, you hear this posh voice saying, uh, yes, and the answer is LP. Huh. Whatever that yeah. means whether that's part of the LSD tape. To me, it just felt like a, a bit of a, a cheeky nod and a wink back to the, you know, the Lucy in the Sky with mm. Diamonds mm. LSD kind of wordplay yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, maybe they were just having a gig while. So was, forgive my ignorance here, but was L pound? Yes, because you know the, the pound symbol yeah. is an L. Right, so it went from L, S, P... Pound, shilling, pence? No, D. D for pence. D. Yeah, 1D, 2D. LSD, so it went to LP, which would be pounds and pence. Ah, yes, that's it. Right. So and we the answer is LP. Yeah. Oh. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's Robert Dougal, we think, the... Uh, the, the yeah, the famous was, old newsreader. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to see if we can bring out some audio of him reading the news. Mm. Oh, that was amazing. After you've decided whether the price is right, forget all about the LSD equivalent. Is that is somebody manipulating a tape to find the right bits of the... Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems that the tape uh, keeps stopping and you hear little bursts of what was perhaps even previously on the tape. It's very bizarre. Right. They, so they, they sound almost like, um, you know, samples, orchestra hits, you know. Uh, yeah. Very weird. But I, I was um, having a giggle yesterday with the, the kind of double meaning of LSD. And, uh, you know, pounds, shilling, pence, of course, LSD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I wondered if that was a, a just a cheeky reference on Macca's part. 
could well be, uh, unlike uh, John's insistence that Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was accidental. That was <laughs> yeah. deliberate, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so that's a decimalisation tape. Is that also Robert Dougal? I think so. And that's yeah. where LP, the LP quote comes from. Yes. So that's what they, they maybe they chopped that out and decided they were going to use that bit. Yeah. Because it, yeah. L- so L- this is, LP being pounds, pence. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so the co- the country went decimal on, well, it was in February 71, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Was that, um, I think we've talked about this before. I mean, maybe have a search for this. There was a great film where this sort of granny has nightmares about decimalisation and then is explained <laughs> the process by her ch- grandchild, I think. Okay. Is that what that's from? It might, you, you could, because it might be sourced from there. And then I think there was an instructional bit, maybe, with Robert Dougal. Ah, right. I, I did have a look on YouTube, and I couldn't see any reference to this. Uh, so what I'll was the film? A, it was a, 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 a drama film, was it? It was a public information film, which I remember seeing, like, every tea time, probably yeah. right around the time between children's programmes and the news or something like that. Mm. Our very, very good friend, um, literally my oldest friend, Steve Morris... From Wellingborough, he of the Consequences Log fame. Oh yeah. Um, he very kindly sent me a link that he found of all places on Facebook, a video that somebody posted on Facebook of something that I know that you and I have been desperately trying to find ever since mm. our Bake Off experience last week. Um, I've been trying to find any example of the uh, the Robert Dougal voiceover on the public information films with Scaffold doing the music um, and no joy at all but Steve messaged me today and he, he managed to find this Paul and it's it's really nice it's three minutes long um, and uh, see if you can identify some of the other voices on this this is a real okay. this is a real treat it's a video as well uh, but we'll just hear the audio for now so from February the 15th Britain goes shopping with six decimal coins that's 31 and a half new pence, please, love. One pound, thank you. And here's your change. 31 and a half, and a half is 32, and one is 33, and two, 35, and five is 40, and 10 makes it 50, and 50 makes 100 new pence. That's one pound. On Monday, February the 15th, one pound will be worth 100 new pence. 100 new pence to the pound. One pound is a hundred new pennies, a hundred new pence to the pound. One pound is a hundred new pennies, a hundred new pence to the pound. Two fifties make a pound. Sounds I'm hearing getting a carry on vibe. You are, you absolutely. You're certainly it's right on Barbara, the on the female on the female voice. It's not Barbara Windsor, is it? No, but you're very very close. More more you're sort of uh, you kind of typecast as the shall we say the feisty wife. Oh, Joan Sims. Joan Sims, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. something. And here's the um, here's some information I found on. There's an excellent. A site called Genome, which is the BBC's 
uh, kind of archive. Oh, um, yeah. I've, I've recently sent some uh, some tapes their way uh, that uh, my granddad had recorded off the radio, sort of in the fifties and sixties, yeah. um, and they're they're compiling uh, a, a detailed catalogue of everything that went out on radio and TV. And this, can you see that? All right, Paul. Yeah. So this was a, f- a five part program, exactly as Paul remembered it, uh, going going out at tea time. Um, around the the sort of magic roundabout quarter to six slot on BBC One, five nights in a row, starting Monday the 8th of Feb, 1971, uh, just five-minute programmes, five daily guides to the new money with the voices of Robert Dougal, The Scaffold, Joan Sims and Dick Graham, uh, written by Charles Pascoe and produced by Tony Matthews. Um, And um, I found that really enjoyable. I think the music, the song... It's quite nice, isn't it? Bit, perhaps a bit too mellow and musical for a jingle. Well, this, yeah, I'm quite interested about those little jingles. Well, first thing, haven't we already discovered from Peter, or maybe you've discussed this already, that it was recorded at Strawberry? Yes, um, and uh, we don't have any more tapes or anything we can share from those, but you never know, they might surface. Now... Uh, the Scaffold, for those who don't know, was a three-piece. It had Mike McGear, Stroke McCartney, uh, John Gorman and Roger McGough. Mm. And Mike was really the only musician amongst the three. So he must have been the prime mover, I think, sort of writing the music. Mm. It sounds it sounds Beatlesque, doesn't it? Yes, um, especially um, the bass. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder who played mm. on the tracks. Um that would be interesting to know. That's probably tied in with, of course, Mike recorded an album at Strawberry, didn't he? In was it seventy one or seventy two called Woman, yes. which didn't have didn't have any involvement from Paul McCartney that one. But maybe it was the same personnel, same time. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's um, that is a really really interesting thing, and and we'd love to uh, just have a little bit more access to some of those recordings from Strawberry. Um, from 71 I mean or probably from 1970 actually they'd have needed to record those um, you know well in advance of the programs going out but for me the the real innovation on that, if I'm right about the way it was recorded was the what was it called on the tape the wine glass in the key of F, F chord yeah, yeah. That sounds to me like, presumably, Paul McCartney's just rubbing his finger around a wet wine glass and producing an F note, and then they're, they're slowing the tape down, um, and he records the F note again, but it's, it's record, the tape is slowed down so that when it's put back to the proper speed, it plays an A note. Right. They do the same again, slow it down even more, put it back to normal and, and then they get a C note. So you've got F, A, C in a chord. And then I think they've recorded that from the multi-track onto a quarter-inch tape and played it back at different speeds. Right. So you've got this kind of wavering, fluctuating pitch. So kind of like a, a, a primitive form of sampler, you know, where you can actually change the chord. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Incredible. What's, what was interesting, watching the tape go around was every so often the brown normal tape would stop and a bit of the green or red. So presumably somebody had to cut the tape, stick it back together with a bit of the red or green in between. Mm. So a kind of real labour 
Yes, absolutely. Not, not like now you do it just on the computer. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that um, when we were playing the Dreadlock Holiday single master, there was a bit of, of white leader tape between Dreadlock and, and Nothing Can Move Me. Uh, and I think that's a standard practice in a studio where you basically only keep the tape with the salient recordings on. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd reel them onto a new reel, separate them out with, uh, with leader tape. And that way you could, it was perhaps a more economical way of storing masters so you didn't have to fast forward for hours mm. to find you. I know there is, from consequences, uh, there's a quote from either Kevin or Lol about enjoying the cutting with razor yeah. blades. Mm. Somewhere in the Strawberry Archive, um, Roger Barnes gave it to us, is a razor blade that was used on some <laughs> strawberry tapes. I don't know which ones, obviously, but uh, but what I kind of that's a physical effort, isn't it, to actually produce these things? Yeah. Wow, there is more of this. That mm -hmm. is quite a sound, isn't it? Well, of course, McCartney's got uh, previous with wine glasses, right? I'm sure, Has I he? don't know whether you're aware of this, there's a track on the McCartney debut album from 1970. You'll want to dig this out. It's very short, and it may not be labelled as a separate track, but it, it's uh, there's a track called Suicide, which itself is only a fragment of several seconds, and I think right around there on the album, there's a little fragment of him playing wine glasses recorded at home. Ah. It, it sounds a bit like the gizmo. I'm sure you clocked that. Even no, it, it, it does. Um, but I, I love the way he's manipulated the sound. Either, like I was saying yesterday with, with, with Peter and Liam, uh, hmm. slowing down and speeding up the tape to get different notes. But of course, I was um, skirting around the, the common sense logic that basically he just put, put, put more or less water in the wine glass to, to raise the pitch so you get the, the F, A and C notes. Um, but the, the really clever thing is how he's got pitch bend on it. Yeah, that's got to be tape manipulation, hasn't gotta it? Got to be, yeah. So someone would have just been playing with the speed knob on the tape machine. Wow. I mean, right around the same time, of course, Pink Floyd were doing exactly the same thing for the start of Shine On You Crazy Diamond. That's yeah. got loads of wine yeah. glasses on it. So, <laughs> uh, And um, they were hanging out a bit, McCartney and Gilmore. wonder if they um, swapped wine glass technique. <laughs> After first emptying the bottle. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Attracted by the to thank Liam for this didn't I? I I thought it was part of the same track we've just been discussing here the man who found God on the moon but he he um, reckoned it was part of the casket oh that's right yes it was Liam yeah um, which is a wonderful track which is unique because it's uh, the lyrics are by Roger McGough 
we just mentioned, uh, obviously, a member of Scaffold and, and music by Paul McCartney. Mm. It's a lovely, it's a lovely evocative song anyway, or anyway about finding an, an old um, piece of jewellery on a beach that once belonged to a German soldier. Mm. Um, it's a lovely track. And, um, the, yeah, the wine glass just, uh, you know, makes it even more evocative. It really does. And um, it's really interesting hearing those weird modulations in pitch make sense as part of this track. That's really quite well done, isn't it? Because we're right, I think we the original track is just a recording in F major, the same note or chord all the way along, isn't it? Yes. And they very speeded it so that it matches with the chord changes on the track. Yeah, I mean, um, the only way you could you could do it without spending four weeks trying to do it would be maybe to make little felt-tip pen marks on the on yeah. the tape machine so you know exactly yeah. where to turn the speed knob down to and back up to. Um, very difficult to do. And I wonder if, if Paul was listening to the finished track in headphones while he was doing it, surely. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe, I mean, it's undoubtedly Paul's idea of course maybe the execution was was it our friend peter tattersall would he have been would he possibly have been you know turning the the dial to make the uh, the pitch change it could well have been but i, I imagine uh Macca would have been excited to have done that himself wouldn't he as as the, the kind of the artist the musician yeah it's got his touch i mean you know we've talked about mcgear well happily we're talking about it quite a lot it's a great record and one thing which Paul McCartney kind of stopped doing, really, um, just around about this time, was producing records. Mm. I mean, he produced his own records. You know, he's often the de facto producer of Wings Records. But he was also, you know, as an outside producer, he produced some great records in the in the 60s, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm the Urban Spaceman and Mary Hopkin album and Badfinger single come and get it and and tons of others yes um but um often you know not really well known about almost under a pseudonym or, or under the radar but um i can't think of another production that he did after mcgear and it, it's it's you know the guy's got so many talents uh, but you know just as a producer he was he was very talented mm-hmm. and it's a shame that a shame that we don't really hear him do that anymore yes i agree i agree so yeah it, it's Lovely to have played back something that that Paul was crafting with his own hand, if you like. Uh, Mm. Even though crafting's perhaps not the best phrase to use for this kind of rough collection of of random sound effects. But uh, there is a beauty in in hearing him perfect that wine glass sound. Uh, It's so beautiful and so unusual. Yeah, I mean, another plug for the album. I don't want to... um, I, I don't want... Mike McGear's contributions to go sort of unheralded, really, because even though uh, musically, you know, a lot of it is Paul and is even evident on lots of the harmonies, mm-hmm. um, the personality of, of Mike really comes through his humour and his, his kind of off-kilter way of looking at things and his, his lyrical approach. Very much so, um, and uh, n- I guess none more so than on Norton, uh, which uh, is very much of its time, isn't it, Paul? I don't think it will get too much radio play these days i don't know whether it got radio play then but uh uh i think yeah the album's a real a really um a good a good piece of work um i mean they were 
you know, uh, Mike McGear was signed to, to Warner, Warner Brothers and did a pr- big promotional tour with Derek Taylor. And they were mm. really, you know, they were really pushing the record. They did have a hit single with Leave It, which was actually recorded not at Strawberry, but the previous year. But the album and, and Mike as, a, as an artist, it, ne- it never really took off. Maybe it was destined to remain a, a kind of cult favourite. Yes. Sweet, isn't it? It sounds like recorded in a car or something. Maybe, and that might be Mike's kids, I guess. Yeah, that, that's what we were assuming. Um, you know, you should definitely, um, presumably, you've already got the wheels in motion, try and get this tape to Mike. Because yeah, yes, we're talking about that. I mean, obviously, he was yeah, he was the, he found the master tapes to McGear up in his attic, hmm. and that's that's you know that's what led to the box set, right. which obviously had had everything apart from this little extra tape. So I'm sure he'd be delighted, especially if that that is his kids. Um, yeah, are, do we hear them singing that on the album? Uh, is it part of the the man who yeah. found God on the moon? Yeah, all, all those elements I recognise as uh, being part of um, the man who found. God on the Moon, which is a kind of multi-part track, and yeah. yes, that Har- that Harry Krishna chant is in there near the end. Men in balloons were floating through space, gliding long motorways, running a race. Sails in the sunset, fireworks explode. Motorplane plows through a night on the road. One of the reasons for Paul and I hooking up today is is to um, for Paul to share his encyclopedic knowledge, not just of the McGear album, but also of various Apollo moonshots. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's right. I was uh, I was way gone on Apollo when I was a kid, and then it came back in a big way when I was when I was a grown up. You know, like a lot of these um, obsessions when you're young, they sort of come back and. Um, of course, the man who found God on the moon was inspired um, in terms of Mike writing the lyric by the Apollo 15 mission, which contained uh, a crew, um, including a guy called Jim Irwin, who um, had a, a fairly profound spiritual experience hmm. on, on the moon and later um, became... A minister and uh, when he left NASA he I mean he had some f- the moon affected um, astronauts in quite a profound way or, or some of them there's a theory going around about this actually that the t- two people would always land in on, on the moon the commander and the lunar module pilot hmm. and and the, the lunar module pilot was something of a misnomer because it was actually the commander that flew the thing a lunar module pilot would monitor systems and, and such like. And, and the theory goes, because they had a bit more time, they took a bit more in, and they were profound, more profoundly affected by what happened to them on the moon than the commanders. Mm. Um, Buzz Aldrin, who was a lunar module pilot of Apollo 11, um, <clears throat> was quite 
he's still around. He's quite an intense character who who went through some serious personal changes after after he walked on the moon. And Jim Irwin um, said that he f he heard God speaking to him on the moon. And after he retired from NASA and, and returned uh, to the Earth, he he went on various various spiritual quests, um, including like several missions to the Middle East looking for Noah's Ark. Wow. Um, thinking that the uh, the book of Genesis was actually um, literal and things like this. Yes. So it's quite, it's, quite, it's quite interesting what happened to some of those. Wow. And, and uh, to be honest, Paul, I mean, I can think of no other experience that, that mankind is capable of other than, than walking on the moon and looking back at the earth uh, that would most inspire you into some kind of spiritual awakening um i can i can really understand how and why that could have happened to them yes it's, it's fascinating isn't it mm. it all affected affected them all in, in different ways um so anyway uh, this song was was written by uh, mike the lyrics were written by mike and the music um partly by paul but um although it's a little bit obtuse it's, it's undoubtedly about that experience that the apollo 15 lunar module pilot had on the moon mm. um the dialogue in the song, though, we've since discovered, isn't from that mission. It's from the Apollo 11 mission. Do you want me to go even Oh, yes, please. Yes. Um, you, you if do? you can pick it you apart. And into, you think there are four interlocutors, don't you, on the dialogue? Uh, yeah, pretty sure there are. I mean, um, NASA has got a fantastic archive and it's got all the mission transcripts. Mm. And I was able, now that we have the isolated um, sound effects, available without the music going on at the same time it's fairly easy to to find those phrases or um on the apollo 15 oh, sorry on the apollo 11 transcript right. so the thing is the mission that uh the mcgear album uses is the apollo 11 mission and that's not surprising because a it's the most famous and b Shortly after it happened, various LPs and, and other artifacts were, were, were issued with the with some of the mission communication. I had one myself as a kid, sure. and that, that's probably where they got this dialogue from. And um, there are four people um, uh, included in, in that. The little fragments we hear: one is um, the kind of uh, overdubbed voice of a of a NASA um, mission specialist talking about the um, the time of the first step. Unofficial time on the first step, 1092420. But there are also three astronauts on the tape, Neil Armstrong, um, Buzz Aldrin, and the Capcom, that's the, the guy back in Houston who was, who was the, the communications link between the astronauts and, and mission control, Bruce McCandless. It was a little thrill to be able to find these little bits of dialogue uh, that appear buried or semi-buried in the original track mm. um, and match them to the mission. And it's quite a historical time because it's only minutes after Armstrong stepped on the moon. He's talking about getting a contingency sample, which is what they 
they just wanted to get some rocks quickly in case something went wrong and they had to sort of get off the moon quick. Mm-hmm. So that's, and so it's only a matter of minutes after Armstrong stepped on the moon that, the, that this little bit of dialogue was captured. And, mm-hmm. and Aldrin, Buzz Aldrin, hadn't actually stepped out. He was still in the, the, the lunar module at that point. So, uh, yeah, it was... Um, it's fascinating to be able to, to pinpoint that. Brilliant. And uh, j- just for you, Paul, what I've done, um, and uh, for, for, for your listeners as well, what I've done is I've tried to match as many of the Macca sound effects to their, if, if you like, to their intended target. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and what I've done here, in the left-hand channel, you'll hear Macca's original sound effects tape, and in the right-hand channel, you'll hear the McGear track in mono okay and and I've tried to sync them up so you can kind of get a a, a flavor um this is how I like to spend my early mornings folks that that may make me sound sad and indeed you'd be quite correct here you go unofficial time on the first step 109 Yeah. That's lovely. It brings yeah. a brings a lump to your throat actually, doesn't it? I mean, you summed it up. I mean, the the it's such a historical uh, recording that. And interestingly enough, I didn't have to do any editing there. I just literally, um, literally dragged that section of dialogue uh, from mm. from the new Macca tape, and and it stayed perfectly in sync. So basically, what they'd have done in the studio is exactly that. They'd have just played Macca's tape on the little on the on the quarter inch machine, and just ran it into and just run it into the the multi track. Um, and then fed it in. Yeah, it literally Actually, fed it in. Yeah, they'd already done a little bit of pre-production because um, if we want to get into the minutiae about it, those some of those uh, um, pieces of dialogue are out slightly out of sequence. Ah. So they'd probably picked the bits they wanted first, and then then compiled it into that kind of onto the sound effects tape, and then fed that tape directly in, which sure. I thought was interesting too. Right, yeah, very, very. Do you want to do you want to hear any other discoveries, Paul? Yeah, I'd love to hear the rest of these uh, things on the on the list here. Now, if I uh, if I'm barking up the right tree here, this is how sad I am, gents. I'm just impressed you know where it is in the, these thousands of albums you've got around the room. <laughs> there is <coughs> there is method in my considerable ma- madness. Yeah. Um, you know, and at, as a filmmaker, you see, that's my justification for, for buying these old sound effects LPs. This is uh, BBC Records Stereo Sound Effects number nine, number nine, from 1973. Oh. So... See if you can see anything, any kind of car skids. There's another one, number two, number eight, and then my favourite. There's the death and horror ones. Um, does the cover, the cover of this, oh, yeah. ri- uh, ring any bells oh, with the jam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sound effects. Yeah. So there's all sorts of things on here, like domestic birds, cats, footsteps, door knocks, and so on. 
here we are, section on submarine warfare. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I suspect the sound effects that they used here may be on one of these BBC collections. But that's just that's just my kind of gut feel. I guess these would have been the standard sound effects to mm. have yeah. in a studio. Other or sound or effects brands were, uh, were available, available. Of course. Yeah. But, uh, Did ICV have their own sound effects <laughs> albums uh, as well? Compiled and edited by Rosemary Davis. Car approach, skid, crash. Oh, there we go. Oh, my right. word. And what's the date on that LP? Um, There's some car stuff on that, but that, but that yours yeah, sounds, sounds closer to the yeah. mark. Wow. That could well be it, couldn't it? Yeah, a, a metal, assorted crashes, metal. Yeah, so probably that album right. then, wasn't oh. it? And that's <laughs> well sound, sound effects number two, and that was... Um, I suspect that was 1973 as well. 1970. Oh, yeah. So it definitely fits in the timeline. Yeah. God. <laughs> it's fun. This uh, this uh, archiving. It is, it? isn't it? It's fantastic. Who said it was boring and dull? <laughs> you remember that I had a, a feeling in my water that the sound effects on the Maca tape. Uh, could well have been recorded directly off a BBC Sound Effects LP, and we had it yes. in our hands last Thursday. We had Volume Two of that one, uh, produced in 1970, and uh, a closer look on the track list revealed not just the crashes of glass and metal, but also um, seven or eight sound effects of a Triumph TR3. Um, you know, sort of opening and closing doors coming towards you, whizzing past, gear change, um, and also there's uh, uh, some car crashes on, on previous tracks. So I, I, I felt very strongly that this must have been the, uh, the sound effects source for, for Paul McCartney in the studio. And sure enough, I think we've got proof here. Pretty, pretty sure that the sound of the crash there um, mm. is a mixture of, of BBC effects where, where Paul has basically juggled around with the sound of a car crash and various sounds of glass and metal kind of flying all over the place. But um, even I'm not sad enough to try and, try and compile a matching version of that. I was into my baby Now, just a brief postscript for you, everybody. Um, a couple of things to fill you in on since we recorded all that stuff. Um, we've had some lovely feedback via Twitter from a post that Peter Wadsworth put up of the jingle 
featuring Paul and Linda. And uh, it's great that that's generated loads and loads of interest in, in what we've been doing, which is great. But since recording all those bits, we've since had a couple of really lovely conversations. Uh, I got a call yesterday morning from Andy Peebles, the radio presenter, who I'd sent a copy of the jingle to, and he absolutely loved that. Unfortunately, he didn't have any specific memories of how that jingle came about, but it certainly brought back a, a lot of great memories of the launch of Piccadilly, which was tremendous. But very shortly after that call came in, um, another one came. Um, many thanks to our good friend Owen Ling, who's a, a brilliant writer for We Are Cult magazine. And he kindly put me in touch with Mike McCartney's publisher. And sure enough, just a matter of a few hours later, I got a call from Mike McCartney himself and we had a lovely long chat. The guy is absolutely hilarious. He's full of brilliant stories, uh, very tongue-in-cheek humour and uh, just, just absolutely wonderful. And I'm delighted to say that he's very happy to come and talk with us properly for a pod and I think that one will be fascinating, not just for the adventures they had at Strawberry Studio but also his deep and long history as part of the Liverpool music scene and, and of course with, with his brother. Let me leave you with his final words in the phone call yesterday. It was so amusing and very, very touching. He said, and, uh, and apologies for attempting his accent, he said, don't forget to send me a copy of that jingle for our kid, la. That really tickled me. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed this, folks. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Hello, Piccadilly. Hello, Albert Square. Hello, Piccadilly. Keep doing it on the been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening